Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 122 with Louis Romoldi. It was just always there. We, you know, you, you drank at the end of your shift. You went out to dinner and you drank. You met up with friends. It just was a constant thing for me that I got, finally got bored with it. And I'm glad that I did because I wouldn't be here today talking. But for me personally, it was, I got to the point in my life where I got so tired of saying to myself, could have, would have, should have, and also watching friends that were servers or friends that were line cooks opening up their own restaurants having children, having a husband, having a wife, having a partner. I wasn't having any of that. And I knew the one thing that was holding me back from anything in life was alcohol. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to Chefs Without Restaurants. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant unless you count Burger King or Boston Market. Happy Tuesday, everyone. I hope your week's off to a great start. So today I have Louis Romoldi. Louis goes by the name The Single Baker on Instagram. He's someone who I've been following for about a year now. I think I first saw his work after I had Monica Glass on my show. She's also a pastry chef in Philadelphia, like Louis. So I've been watching his stuff for a while now, and we've been talking back and forth, and I really wanted to have him on the show. Right now, Lewis is working as a baker and as a personal trainer. But so much of his story revolves around sobriety and getting sober at the age of 39. He's someone who came up through the food industry, you know, starting at the age of 14 and then living the, you know, traditional restaurant lifestyle, partying a little too hard. And just by the time he was 39, decided that. Things had to change. He wanted to stop drinking. He wanted to focus on his health. And, you know, he was able to do that. So a lot of our conversation revolves around that. But then I wanted to know how he got into baking. You know, he wasn't trained as a baker or pastry chef. He just had a lot of years experience in the food and beverage industry. So we discussed his path of how he came up through the restaurant industry and then transitioned into starting his own businesses. We also touch a little bit on staging because he took a couple of stages to really learn how to start his own bakery business. So, you know, we do get into that. I know that's something that a lot of you listeners have done or uh, maybe as an employer had people stage for you. And it's something that a lot of us have strong feelings about. 
And for those of you interested in getting on TV, he was on a Food Network show as well as uh, doing a lot of uh, cooking bits on his local news. So I asked him how he got into that because I think that's something that a lot of people want to know. You know, how do you get on either local TV and like how do you get on the Food Network? So we talk about that. And then he has a book that's going to be coming out next year about food and sex. So stick around, and the show will be coming right up after a word from this week's sponsor. Did you know restaurants turn over employees four times faster than most businesses? What if somebody created an affordable and effective hiring solution for the restaurant industry? What if there were a job site that only focused on people looking for food service jobs? What if that site only cost $50 a year to advertise for every job your restaurant needed? Forget the big corporate sites like Indeed and Monster. Our sponsor, Savory Jobs, has a job site exclusively for restaurants. The best part is, Savory Jobs only charges $50 for an entire year, and you can post all the jobs you want. And for our loyal listeners, use the code SAVORY10 and get 10% off. That's S-A-V-O-R-Y-1-0. So go to SavoryJobs.com and discover the job site that's shaking up the industry. And remember to use SAVORY10 for 10% off. And now... On with the show. Thanks so much and have a great week. I decided at 39 that I wasn't happy with the way my life was going and the way that I was aging and the way that I was handling myself. And I decided I needed to get sober first and foremost. I needed that was the one thing that was holding me back from everything. So um, I worked on that and I got sober and then I cleaned up my act with food and with the way I was eating, the way I was preparing food. And that really changed everything. And then I kind of just like went into, I fell into fitness. Um, So that's what I do as well. So I'm a home baker. I'm also a fitness instructor, certified fitness instructor. Um, And they, those kind of two don't seem like they would go hand in hand, but they actually, they work really well connection wise. It's great. So I kind of fell into them around 2014, 2015, and have been doing those two uh, things for a while now, which has been a great way of just staying busy and staying active. But yeah, so at 39, I decided that, you know, you could keep talking and complaining, could have, would have, should have stuff, or you can change everything. And what's the worst that's going to (laughs) happen? You know, you can't get any worse than it was because you were drinking and you were having a great time eating and partying, but that has to stop and you have to learn how to enjoy it and reset. That was at 39. Yeah. 39. I decided before I turned 40 that I would make all these changes because I wasn't happy anymore. And it was, it was a lot of things, you know, but one of the major things that really contributed was alcohol abuse. And in this industry that we're in, you know, it's there. It's, but so many chefs right now are sober and that's amazing. It's really amazing. It's inspiring. And I love the fact that there's so many chefs in Philadelphia that are sober conscious and that aren't there. They have families and they have these small businesses and they can't lose it all over a night of partying anymore. And it's just, it's, it's tiring. (laughs) It is. As I get older, I don't have the tolerance for that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, and I've, 
started drinking, well, do you say started drinking less? Um, two years ago or so, just because I wanted to feel better. And now I find like mm-hmm. I have one beer and it's just like, whoa, like I, I have a headache the next day from having one beer. And it's like, wow, I used to be able to have like five of these and be okay, yeah. you know? But as you oh, start believe to face me. it out, you're like, oh, this really is poison. Like <laughs> for me personally, it's, it's going to be eight years and um, I just can't because of I have so much going on that I can't be, I have to be on point. So I, I can't even think about starting or doing it. And it just doesn't interest me anymore. You know, when you lose interest of something that you thought you loved to do, and it's just like, ah, eh, yeah, I did it. <laughs> so, you know, I can't complain um, about that. Well, I think this is great. We jumped right into it. We're already rolling here, but let me back up a little bit. Okay. Yes. So how long have you been in the food industry? It sounds like you were already in the food industry before you got into the home baking and the oh, fitness yeah. and all that. So when did you start the food, uh, your food journey? My food journey, like as in the industry, I started at 14 and I'm 46. So the, a long time. <laughs> so I worked at, in high school, um, I worked at a very famous cheesesteak place, D'Alessandro's. Do you know D'Alessandro's? I do. On Henry on Henry Avenue. So I worked there all through high school. I was a hoagie maker. I was horrible at my job. And well, I was, you know, a high school kid. So, um, but um, that showed me a lot. And that was amazing because that was an all family run business before they sold it and stuff like that. And at the same time, I was working there and I was working at my friend had her family had a bagel shop in Ivy Ridge and I was working Sundays and Saturdays there. So I had been in the business already like jaded by 16, (laughs) you know, 14, 15, 16 by 16. I was like, Oh, I'm a pro at this. And uh, I just knew then that's what I like. I was good at. I knew how to make money and I knew how to turn on the personality when I needed to. And then I, I did the college thing, you know, studied art, studied fashion. It was great. I got what I needed out of it. And then, you know, again, you have the restaurant business to fall back on. I always worked in the restaurants. And then I worked my real like dive into like an actual restaurant with a bar and bartending, which I did for years too. I was 19 and my, um, I needed a job and a friend of mine was like, oh, we're hiring at this Mexican restaurant on main street, Casa Mexicana. She's like, it's not really that busy, but you'll make money. And literally I showed up, she showed me where the chips and salsa were. She showed me how to make the two different kinds of margaritas up and on the rocks. Right. And then like a strawberry margarita. And then she said, I'll be back. I have to run some errands, go to the bank. This and that left me there. And literally I got so slammed and it was just me, a cook. And that was it. And so basically she came back around like four and she was, and I was ready to like, you know, kill her. But at the same time, it threw me right in the weeds and it was great because it just, um, it opened the door for me. And that was something that I did forever. Then Derek Davis opened up Sonoma and that was just a real big eye opener for me because that was a different world completely. It was high end. It was brand new. It was nothing like had been like that before in Philadelphia. Um, I don't know. You're probably too young, but it was like one of the first places in Philadelphia to have a vodka bar, like a full vodka bar. 
And it was the same time that like, there was no internet. There was nothing like that going on. So dating was very in like social dating. So you would go to Sonoma on Wednesday nights and say like Philandia would host it. And then all these singles would show up. Or years ago, the museum used to have a, I think a Friday night singles mixer and like things like that were happening because there was no internet. So we didn't have swipe left, swipe right, you know? I love how you do say uh, I'm not old enough. I am 45, so I did live. Oh. <laughs> I, I did live prior to the internet. I, I wasn't in the Philadelphia area, but believe me. Well, I think everyone's younger than me, so. <laughs> but it's all good. But um, yeah, so that's that's my like beginning of the restaurant. Um, Sonoma was definitely with Jen was amazing. Learned so much there about everything food our manager was amazing and wine and all that stuff that I never really knew about you know and then on the other side I was working at this kind of divey Mexican place that I learned even more about just speed and about getting getting through the night and about just having a good time but at the same time um you know not taking it too serious but taking it taking your job to the fullest, right? If you, that's how you make money in this business. But then I um, started to work in the city, in Center City. I worked at um, nightclubs and bars. I worked at this divey gay bar uh, called Key West, which is now Frankie, Frankly Bradley's or Bradley Frankly. And then Madison, they had been open for about two years and the original owners, Matt and Sonia, were leaving. But no one had ever left there, like no one had ever left there server wise because they did so well. And someone was leaving and I heard about it and I applied for the job. And at the time I was still working at the nightclub and the Sonia, who's amazing, um, basically said like, it sounds great, but you work at a nightclub. Like you're going to come, you're going to be able to work lunches. Like, no, I'm not going to, I want to, but you know, in this industry, would I probably get up? Probably not. So that didn't work the first round of interviews, but then I left the nightclub and then they were hiring again. And it just so happened that it worked out perfectly for me because I worked there for eight years with Ben Puckowitz, who you know, right? Ben Puckowitz from all those beautiful ramen restaurants. (laughs) But yeah, so I worked under him for seven or eight of the years, which was amazing learned a lot there, which was nice. And we were doing something that the city really wasn't doing that much of affordable tasting menus every single week, a different tasting menu, $45, five courses, something like that. And it was just amazing. And that's where I really learned to start to love food and really enjoy flavors and um, pick up on little touches that chefs do and that pastry chefs do that you normally wouldn't see in other places, right? So Madison is where I really learned how to care about what I was eating and how it was being presented. While you were doing it, did you have a plan for what you wanted to be doing with your life? Like, were you like one year at a time saying like, oh, I'm just going to be here a year and then I'm going to get out and do this? Or were you kind of taking it as it comes? It's funny because you always have like at least you always have like a you always want to have a plan b at the time though working there i had such job security it was my job it was i was a professional server and 
I took pride in that because I had such good connections with my customers and with, with the people coming in, the food, the back of the house, the front of the house, very close knit. So for me, I kind of, I had a plan. I had visions that I wanted to do this and that, but at the same time, I was so comfortable with how I had it because I had the best shifts. I was making a lot of money. I wasn't managing. So I was taking all that money and I wasn't putting up with all the other stuff, but we were professionals in, and we, we were, we handled it and we made it look very smooth. We made the restaurant and just, we made that restaurant look and run very smooth, no matter what was going on in the back. And I loved that. And one of the things I loved about working with Ben Puckowitz, especially was that if anything happened during the night, you know, you messed up something, you did something. All right, handle it. At the end of the night though, it was let go. You were having beers or you were just, or you were laughing. You know, there was no holding grudges and there was no throwing pans. I, I, you know, that culture that I've been, I've been through it all, you know, pans getting thrown, being called every single name in the book, but something with, with Madison, it didn't, it never really happened. And I love that about that place because it was just like, listen, shit happens. Try not to do it again, you know, get it together and then forget about it, which is really nice. So were you partying a lot at this period in your life? Like, you know, now it, it sounds like you're you're sober, so there was an issue somewhere. So when did that start to become a lifestyle and a problem? It was just always there. We, you know, you you drank at the end of your shift, you went out to dinner and you drank, you met up with friends. It just was a constant thing for me that I got finally got bored with it. And I'm glad that I did because I wouldn't be here today talking. But for me personally, it was, I got to the point in my life where I got so tired of saying to myself, could have, would have, should have, and also watching friends that were servers or friends that were line cooks opening up their own restaurants having children, having a husband, having a wife, having a partner. I wasn't having any of that. And I knew the one thing that was holding me back from anything in life was alcohol. And I'm very lucky that for me, my personality, I I can let go of things uh, quick. Let go of things, meaning like I didn't have a problem with staying away from alcohol, which was amazing because I, that was one of my fears in early stages of my sobriety was that how long is this really going to last for me as a server or a bartender, you can take a month off from drinking sober January, no drinking November and save a little bit of money. But then once you get to that hump, then you're drinking. And that's how it really started. That's how my sobriety started as well. It was one of those things where I really got behind in money and I was making all this money, but where was this money going? And then, you know, you realize it's going, you're, you're, you're going out to eat, you're going out to drink, you're spending money, you're doing this, you're partying. Um, so I regrouped and I said to myself, okay, let me not drink for 30 days get caught up on my bills, get caught up on my rent. And then it was 60 days. And then it was 90 days. 
And then it was like 120 days. And by that time I was kind of like, oh God, this was so much easier than I thought for me, for me. I know for many people that suffer with a lot longer sobriety than I have that suffer. And I know there's so many people that reach out to me now that are like 30 days and three months. And how do you do it? And you, you just have to do it if you want, you know, that's the thing. So for me, it was a problem and I faced it and I knew that I, I was, I knew there was better things for me out there. And I had a great life with drinking. Don't get me wrong, but it also was one of the things that was holding me back. First of all, congratulations. I mean, that's such a a challenge for so many people and it's not easy. Uh, But I'm really glad to see that, you know, we were talking earlier how so much of the industry is changing and that it's becoming more normal to talk about this. It's becoming more uh, just chefs are getting sober. Uh, The industry seems to be changing in that respect. And it's not that you have to be an alcoholic to work in the food business. It shows in the way that you present yourself, the way that the food's presented, you know, believe me, I come from a long line of going into work hungover and going into the kitchen and seeing the crew hungover, you know, and like bringing in pizza or bringing in something for them. And then at 10 o'clock, we're starting again with, you know, getting the beer and getting the drinks. And so it's a cycle. And it can be managed if this chef or if someone sets the standards. And I think that's what's happening a lot is that it's becoming, um, you know, a standard. There's no partying, a no party kind of environment, which is fine, you know, without being too strict. You know, it's 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 the person who sets the standard and sets the bar. I think that really it reflects on other people, you know, which that happened. That trickles down to everyone. You know, whether the chef has a bad attitude or the pastry chef is this way or the dishwasher is finicky or the server. And, and I've been that, sir. I've been the difficult server that has ruined other people that I've worked with nights. You know, it trickles down. But if you try to work on it at the top, then the night goes by faster. Right. And it goes by smoother. That's a great transition into, you know, kind of the next part of this conversation, which is like. I know you as the single baker, right? From Instagram, that's your handle. Your profile is a lot of baking stuff. So what are you doing in the baking realm and kind of how did that start? So for me, again, it goes back to changing my life at 39 and getting sober. And I was thinking like, what could I do to get me, keep me occupied? And baking had been something that I loved to do. Didn't really ever do it because I had amazing bakeries around me or people that I knew, my mom, my aunts, amazing bakers. So I didn't really need to bake. I started to bake with, which I thought was simple. I wanted to make biscotti and it was, I didn't follow the directions. I didn't really measure. I just like was whimming it because I was used to cooking and I was used to just throwing stuff in. And that was a big failure and a very expensive failure because it was hazelnuts and this and that. So it started with something simple that I thought was going to be just something to keep me occupied, which was the baking and healthier uh, food prepping. And when I got sober, I, I did like a 
a massive no uh, meat. I, I haven't eaten meat in probably eight years. And then sugar, anything white, like white flour, sugar. I cut that out for a while just to re restart my whole body. So back to the baking, the baking was a way for me to get, stay occupied and to try something new and to create something. I had always had something in the back of my head about it because I loved watching other people. We had an amazing pastry chef at Madison, Sonia Bravo, who I really looked up to and really watched her skill. I was lucky enough that she was open to showing me stuff and letting me kind of goof around with her in the beginning, at least with, with wanting to learn. And then I was like, what are you going to do with this? You know, you're making stuff, you're making cookies for people, you're making biscotti for people, you're not charging people, you're just giving them out as gifts and it's great. And you're making these cakes for people. What are you going to do? Do you want to open a bakery? Do you want to work at a restaurant? I don't know. So the next step for me was I started to stage at places and I, I staged with some amazing people that really showed me like what I needed to do to tighten up my skills as uh, a home baker. Um, so I was fortunate enough that I was working, my friends own a bagel shop, Need Bagel and Sherry and Adam Milner, and I helped them open that up and I was doing the counter. And it happened that one of our regulars at the time, um, Chef Dana from, she was at Abe Fisher. She was the pastry chef there. I had talked to her about staging and I told her, you know, my deal. She was like one of the first people to really take it, take me seriously and, and really help me and not make me feel like I was a home, home baker or, or that I wasn't like there for long-term. I wanted to learn. I wanted to clean up. I wanted to learn how to work in that industry and what, what I needed to do to make my home game, you know, up a little bit with, and with, with that being said, just something simple, like she's an amazing teacher. And that's, that's what you really want. You want someone who's great at what they do, but an amazing teacher, you know, I've, I've worked with people who are like, they're great at their job, but they're not teachers. You don't know what I mean? There's like, this is what we do. Learn it with me, but I can't teach it to you. But then there's people that are structured teachers and amazing at that. And Dana was great like that. You know, one of the first things she said was, don't read the ingredients, read the, the recipe first. You read the directions first and then the ingredients so that you get that feel. And, um, she also was one of the first people to tell me like, respect where you, where your environment is, clean everything off when you're done using it, you know, and, and take care of the environment around so that the next person or that, so that tomorrow it's clean and it's ready and it doesn't break down and you don't have that problem. So I learned a lot through her, which was great. And, you know, I value that so much because to stage somewhere without really an end game, like, I wasn't looking for a job and I wasn't looking to go to school in, in pastry. So for her to trust me and to take me under the wing, she really was one of the people in Philadelphia that believed in me. And at the same time, the, uh, I've reached out to many people and certain people just didn't have the time. And that was, and at the time it was okay, you know, and that was fine. And a lot of other people didn't have the space or, I didn't have an end game. And if you don't have an end game, meaning 
they don't benefit from me really other than peeling some apples, you know? So it's like, well, if you don't want to work, you don't want to go to school, you don't want to do this. But then working at with Dana at Abe Fisher opened the door for me to do a stage at the Rittenhouse Hotel and their pastry department for the Quah and for the hotel. That was incredible that they said yes to me staging there, right? With very little experience in that kind of field, especially. And I worked with a woman and I hope she's still there, Loretta. And she is the like backbone of the pastry there. And I love that experience so much. So like those two places and those two women really impacted me to really tone in on what my skills were and like cleaning it up and, and learning that, you know, using a scale or using how to measure the machines and how to feel out that whole vibe. And then it evolved into that really helped my other, my side business because I was doing, you know, these cakes were getting nicer and the cookies were getting cleaner and the presentation was looking nicer. And with, the gym, I was working at a gym um, as a trainer because I'm a personal trainer as well. I was able to make granola and make peanut butter and make almond butter and sell that to and healthy, like healthy muffins with protein powder made into them. So it kind of like they play with each other and and kind of went full circle and utilize both businesses to kind of really work together, which was really nice. Staging is interesting, but I totally understand how, like, if they're not getting something out of it, like, it's a big time commitment. Like, you know, yeah, absolutely. Because I have people reach out to me saying, hey, can I, you know, I want to become a personal chef. Can I come shadow you? It's like, I'm actually going to go slower with you with me because I have to, like, stop and, like, explain everything to you. And at the end of the day, if, like, all I'm getting out of is you're peeling potatoes, but I'm going to have to, it's going to take me twice as long. And then you're not going to end up working for me. Like, I don't know that I can really do that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I think that when someone has that spark about them, and I'm talking about myself, and people see that, then they believe in you, right? And they know you're going to take it to the next level, and you know you're going to utilize it. And then there's certain people that just don't have the patience or the time for it. And that's fine, too. But I feel that to give someone a chance, and if someone's serious about it, you know, because as the person staging as well, you're committing a lot of time to doing a lot of jobs that are, you know, mindless, you know, basically. But then you get offered things that because they start believing in you. Like if Dana goes to a meeting for an hour and is like, you have to finish this chocolate or you have to finish this and leaves you that responsibility. Or when you're, you know, I was at the hotel and they're like, leaving me to do the tea service prep. Like, this is insane. You know, I don't have any experience. You have the experience. Do it. And if you mess it up, you got to do it over. It just, it's all about the right timing and knowing good people who want to help. But at the same time, now that it's been a long, longer, I can respect others who said no in the beginning because it, of space and because of time and because of patience and because of teaching me. I didn't come from any background. I'm self-taught. So, you know, I was reading the um, American test 
Kitchen's dessert book. That's what I knew. So I was reading that for reference and that, that cookbook stays by my hip. It's, you know, something that I, you know, I learned a lot through, but again, so again, you know, you took people take risks on other people and I'm grateful for that, you know, and then I decided that I was good at what I was doing and um, I started making cakes for people and it started with people that I was interacting with at the gym. They needed birthday cakes and they needed this cake or Christmas cakes, things like that. And I started off with, and I still to this day, everything is simple. And I know that my cakes have evolved to very chaotic, bright, fun things, but underlining them, they are just buttercream that have some food coloring in it. And they're just chocolate cakes and they're just vanilla cakes and there's no fondant and there's no really added bullshit to it. And that's what I've always based my baking on. Very clean home cooking, home baking, um, simplicity that tastes amazing and reminds you of things that you love. So that kind of was like moving along and it's like, okay, well, what, what's, what are you going to do next with this? And I wanted to, I had always been doing like social media with doing lives or very active on social media with my baking and my, and my cooking. And I decided that I should apply for a reality show, a TV show. So I was on, I was on the food network and I said, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to apply for one of these cooking shows, I'm only going to do it for food network. If I'm going to start there. Right. And it started with, I had done some local news every once in a while. I'm on good day live with Jennifer Fredericks and we do like a segment on food or it's healthy food or it's ways of switching up food, making food quicker. So I already had that kind of like entertainment kind of in my back, back of my head that I knew I was good at it. I knew I was good in front of the camera. I knew the camera kind of liked me. So before we go to Food Network, how did you break into that? Because that's something that a lot of people ask me, like just getting on your local news. How did that happen? So again, it's all based on like everyone you connect with, not everyone you meet, everyone that you connect with in life. There, there's something there that there's, it's for a reason, you know, if you want to believe it or not. So again, getting sober, starting to, to work out at a gym, getting a a family and they say, you know, a fit family. And it's true. You get a family, just like a restaurant family, you get a fitness family and you get a group of people who are all on the same page as you. You're all getting up at the same time. You're working out at the same time. You're working out together, eating together. Okay. So then with that, you get introduced to more people in this industry, fitness. And I happened to be at a class and one of my very good friends, Holly Waters, she was training a woman who's on Good Day Live, Jen Frederick. I don't know if you know Jen, she's an amazing person. She was training her and Jen was talking about segments and Holly had told her about me and about my journey kind of like, and what I can do. And then Jen reached out and was like, I have this idea for baking quick, quick Thanksgiving desserts, something like that. And then her and I built a relationship. It always works out who you meet, right? Like trickles into what you need. And it's so funny. That's how I met Monica Glass as well. Holly was training Monica. Me and Monica were in the same class. I always knew of Monica through 
Jen and the other people in Philadelphia, but I'd never met her. And I happened to be in this fitness class. And at the end of the class, Holly said, Monica and Lewis, you have to know each other. And we both were like, oh my God, we know of each other, never had met. So nothing to do with the food industry. We met at a fitness class and that kind of blossomed into our relationship, which is amazing. And I've worked with Monica, especially during the pandemic. We've done a lot together with live um, cooking segments and and stuff like that and just interviewing each other. And it, it just, so again, it just all goes back to like right placement of person, right people and letting that in, letting it into you, right? Letting it into your life. So I started to look into how to get on cooking shows and baking competitions and just take a chance, right? And I had never really watched a lot of the Food Network, but I knew of this, of course, of the shows, of the core shows. So I applied with a company, a casting company, and it was originally for a show that was like a, a chopped, but it was like, are you a chef or aren't you a chef? Right. They pinpoint like real chefs and non real, like I guess, home cooks or like people who like to cook. So for me, it was a fitness instructor who liked to cook. Right. And I went up, did the show. You know, we did a test film, got great feedback. I did the whole all the segments, you know, made it through the rounds of of the day. And then about three weeks later, I got a call back and was like, we didn't we're not using you for the show. but we have a baking show that we think you'll be, that's for you. We, we've seen your stuff on the internet and baking is your thing. So that was for one of an, a show called Bakers versus Fakers. And it was uh, Buddy Velasco. Is that his name? Velasco? Yeah. And I did really well in it and won the first round and then lost the second round. But it had that kind of like very intense kind of, feeling that this was amazing. This is what I wanted. Check it off the list. And um, it was a great vibe. And that was in 2016. So that was really early in my sobriety and in my baking, which is a great accomplishment because you have these people that have been baking and cooking all their lives and just doing a show if they wanted to do it. So for me to be that much of an amateur and, and really kick up the game and do that, it was a lot of fun. And um, I would definitely do it again. And I get offers through the casting agency all the time, but nothing really seems to be like, nothing seems like me. It seems like it would be fun, but it doesn't seem like I would be all in it, you know? Yeah. I've never done any of those shows, but you know, sometimes there's such a kind of contrived like setup for the show. Uh, You know, well, it makes good TV. It's like watching, you know, Gordon Ramsay on Hell's Kitchen. Like, that's not really what a kitchen environment's like, but right. like, it would be kind of boring to just kind of watch a normal kitchen service. So I know you got to kind of manipulate it for the screen. Absolutely. And I think when I met with the producers just on these kind of interviews or Skype, they knew my personality that I, I was going to be that guy on TV that was going to be a little over the top, funny, and easy to look at, you know, what kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I kind of feel like, you know, the producers definitely knew, but they also knew that from looking at my stuff, they knew that I also was good at what I was doing as well. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because the world's moving so fast and, and new opportunities come up all the time that like didn't even exist. You know, I, I say all, you know, as I think about like what I want to do, it's like, I don't know. I think things are going to come up that weren't even possible. Right. Like, like having a podcast now, you know, like that wasn't yeah. even a thing that existed. You know, like when I was in high school, it wasn't like, I'm going to have a podcast or like being a personal chef wasn't a thing really. You know, like there was private chefs for wealthy people, but just like going and cooking dinners for like your next door neighbors that didn't really exist. No, I feel the same way. I feel that, um, well, I feel one thing I really believe in is that age is just age. It's has nothing to do with anything that you accomplish. You know, Julia Childs was well off in age and started her career and other people have started their career, you know, later. So it's just a number. And I, and I firmly believe in that because I've totally did a 360 with my life and it is what it is. But if you want something, you should, you don't have to put a number on it, you know, and that's what we're, you know, we're fortunate enough. And especially with the last two years of, of what we've been dealing with is uh, if you haven't really thought about yourself, your life, other human beings, I don't know where you've been. But this was a great time to reflect on that kind of stuff. As horrible as the world is becoming sometimes or the last two years alone for small businesses, it's so important that we support. Um, I know for me personally, I, that for my two businesses, fitness business has done amazing during the pandemic because of everything on Zoom classes and stuff and people reaching out to me for baked goods because they were home and they could celebrate birthdays or they didn't want to bake and they didn't want to go to a store. They wanted to go somewhere local to help someone whose job depended on it. The fitness world, the serving world got hit hard and not the hardest, but I was able to actually make some good out of it right before the pandemic, speaking on things that you don't know where your life's going to take you. So 2019, um, I decided to do a 12 page, a coloring book with recipes, 12 cookie recipes and coloring. And my friend who's an illustrator, Stevie did all the illustrations for that. And we had um, a big launch at Tattooed Moms and we raised um, over $3,000 for No Kid Hungry, which is a very important cause. And then I got into making pasta, which I'd always been around pasta being Italian, but really never fell deep into making the shapes and making pasta. And I'd always had in the back of my head, I wanted to do a supper club. I sat down with my my friend my friend Lauren and I said I'm doing it. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have set a six top up in my house, a table in the back of my house, the back of my apartment, and I'm gonna cook six courses, sixty bucks, pasta and a dessert. And if people want to do it, they'll buy the ticket. And we planned for it December, January, February. We had one pop up and it was amazing and it was successful and then March happened and it kind of really just ended that right again because intimate settings intimate meetings were done with and even to the right even to today it's kind of still kind of iffy especially going into someone else's place their space and 
and people feeling comfortable. But again, going back to like taking leaps and doing stuff and being able to say like, oh, I did that. And that for me is important that you at least try it and you at least do it and you always can fall back on it. You can always go into it again. And, I, and I've had a lot of downtime where I've done nothing and I've, and I've just eaten pasta <laughs> and I've just eaten takeout pizza and I've been like everyone else. But then there's been, there's been times where you can really flourish with working on yourself, working on your house, you know, these plates that I have all these plates behind me, you know, it was a side project that I had been in Paris and we were at a restaurant and there was a restaurant that was covered in, in these plates. And I decided that, oh, I have the time now to make my house look like a home, you know, and, um, and fitness, just getting yourself regrouping to making yourself a home gym and taking better care. I've noticed so many more people have had the opportunity to take better care of themselves during this during these two years that normally won't have the time to work out, prepare their own food. I love the fact that these last two years, as trying as they've been on the restaurant industry and horrible on the restaurant industry, it's also been a great time that you're seeing, I've met, that I've met chefs, these people that you don't know because they're always in the, on the line that are on the internet now that never were on Instagram, never doing lives. And you get to meet these celebrity chefs that are just normal people that live in small apartments in New York that now have to do the same thing we're doing is setting up space in these places to make a living. And it's also was a great regrouping. I would hope, and I, especially the chefs that are around me, of regrouping that they can see their families and they could relax with their families and be with, go out with their friends and, and enjoy things that normally we don't get to enjoy being in this business. And for a lot of chefs, you know, regrouping of how they treat others or how they cook or learning a new skill other than what they know. And maybe, maybe starting a podcast or maybe writing a blog, writing, do kids still write blogs today? or writing a cookbook or something, you know? So that to me, I would hope as hard as it's been on this industry, I would hope that the servers and the front of the house that needed an opportunity to regroup or start another business that they've always wanted to, I hope that they've gotten that started or they, they're doing that. And for the back of the house, I hope that they've started their side gigs or they've regrouped themselves. I guess that's one of the things that's kind of, also hitting the service industry is all these people kind of figuring out like, maybe I don't want to be working for someone. Maybe I just need to start my own thing. And then it's like, you have too many uh, places of business that don't have enough of the labor. Like, I don't think, you know, everyone talks about like, Oh, the labor shortage. Well, it's not because people aren't working. Like I know almost no one's sitting at home, not working, but a lot of people have kind of shift shifted what they're doing. And I think a lot of people have just figured out a way to make money on their own and not going back working for someone. That. And also, to be honest, it's hard. It's so hard to work right now in this industry, in the restaurant industry during this pandemic. And one of the things that didn't really come out of this that should have was that people didn't get nicer. People didn't change their entitlement that you're waiting on. There's a great group of people that are amazing and that up their tip game but there's still those shitty people who don't tip, 
who don't believe in this, who don't believe in that, and feel entitled. You know, I went back to, I was working um, weekends at a brunch spot, the Dutch in, in, in South Philadelphia. And I went back um, early on and um, I left because I just, I was miserable. It's something that I loved. And I'm like, I can't do this with people that the handful of people are decent, but then there's the other handful of people that just aren't getting it, that we're putting our necks out, you know? And that's something that people, a lot of people don't think about. You know, when you go into a place like a CVS or a Rite Aid, those people have been working for the last two years at a job that's, you know, it's not the rank, the best job in the world. And to treat people awful like that, to me, that's just, that's the shift that it's just crazy for me. And I don't expect everyone to come out because believe me, I have my days where I'm difficult, but it's been a hard challenge. And, and if you could not go back into that world and have a plan B, do it. It's one of those things that's always in the back of my mind. Like I know I'm going to eventually have to go back into a restaurant because that's, that's the skill I know. And that's how I know how to make money. But right now I don't want to deal with, I don't want to deal with everything else that goes with the pandemic and with serving and, and dealing with people. So what's the plan for you? I mean, do you have goals, <laughs> either long or short-term goals? I mean, it sounds like you might at some point go back to working somewhere, but kind of what are you looking at the next kind of... I know. And, well, you know so, and so much of it is like dependent on this whole COVID thing because we're still not out of the woods. But what are you thinking? You know, for me, it's one of those things where I'm constantly trying to regroup, uh, like, what do I want to do? What do I want to really do is I just want to travel and eat but what do I need to do? You know, I need to make money and I need to work and I need to figure out what, what the next step is. Um, me and the woman that I did the first book with the, the coloring book with, we're doing a, another book. So that's kind of in the works for 2022. Um, we are in the middle of like editing it right now. It's going to be a, a sex and recipe book. So it's going to be based on um, the way you eat and sexual positions and sex and food and how everything relates to things you love, which should be good food and good sex. It's an interesting you know? book. <laughs> yes, it's a it's going to be it's it's going to be an interesting book because it really takes on like positions that you can enjoy and food that you can enjoy, and then food that you really shouldn't be eating, thinking, you know, ahead of, ahead of the future for if, you, if you're planning on having a fun night in or having sex. And food and sex go hand in hand, you know? And there's a lot of stuff that we, we don't talk about and we should talk about it because we, we all have it. So, but it'll be a fun book and it's going to be simple recipes that aren't all my own. They're shared recipes that I tweaked. And then there's uh, some very simple recipes for just getting the job done and getting the meal on the table so that you can have sex and have fun. And, and you know, <laughs> education, there's some education in there too, which is nice. 
and what not to eat and what to eat. And um, yeah. And the baking has been great. I, you know, I have orders. I advertise through friends and that being said, like people say, why don't you have a website? Why don't you say it on Instagram or look for customers? And then to me, that becomes more of a hassle a little bit with dealing with people you don't really know or dealing with people's needs. And it's, it's kind of like, I'm doing it because I enjoy doing it. So the minute I'm not enjoying it anymore and I'm, I'm working with things I don't want to work in, I don't ever want to work in fondant. I don't ever want to make you a fondant Mickey Mouse cake. I never want to make you a fondant, you know, deers and stuff like that. I don't want to make stuff like that. It's not in my nature to make it. So I don't want to fall down that hole, you know, of, uh, of this and that with, with baking. So if someone reaches out to me in my DMs and I always answer them with, you know, let's talk. And then if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, that's fine. There's a, there's a million other bakers who will do a fondant mini mini mouse for you. (laughs) Well, I guess that's the joy of like, uh, it's not your only source of income. And this is a topic we keep going back to on the podcast is, you know, when do you take your side hustle and make it a full-time thing? And I think it's very challenging when people find something they love and they're doing it on the side. And then it's like, that's going to be their full-time thing. And to get the money in, right? Like you, you need a job to survive. You need income. And I think a lot of times you start compromising your, I don't know. I don't want to say like create a vision or like your, what you want to do. That's with fitness too. With fitness in both of those industries that I'm in, I have the freedom, but I could easily choose to go work somewhere at a bakery and do cookies or the same cakes all day long. Yeah. Same with the gym. I could work at a place where I don't get to choose the workout. The workout's chosen for me and I teach it. Or I don't get to choose the music. It's chosen for me. And that works for some people. Some people work like that. Like that. I don't work well like that. I work well, me being the creative and taking, taking you know your opinion or taking your advice, but leaving me up to the creative um, end of it. Well, what do you want to leave our listeners with before we get out of here today? Um, Well, you know, I hope that people really um, believe in themselves enough at any age to really try, try something that they've always wanted to. And, you know, the worst thing is, is that you fail, but at the same time you could succeed in it or you could really like it. Um, I would hope that someone that's suffering from addiction could get something out of that where you're not alone and that it's it's a hard journey but it's worth it in the long run if you can stick with it find yourself a good group of people and that goes for not even getting so that's not even for sobriety that's for life you know find yourself a good group of chosen people and that's really all you need because at the end of the day, it's like the rest just wash away, you know, especially with in this social media world. If you really take everything you see and hear, and if you take all that in, you're going to be crazy. At the end of the day, you have to just think about what you need for your health and for your, um, your well-being, you know? So if it's 
if it's changing a routine or taking walk, I'm an advocate of walking after dinner, you know, just for the digestion and things like that. Just simple changes in your life that no one has to notice, but you, it's very important that you are constantly thinking about what you need in your life before other people. And that's something that I've had to work on because I'm, I'm a giving person and, um, a very giving, selfish person, but you know, uh, it goes with it. And there's a lot of plan B's going on right now. And I know though they're going to eventually turn into something. I need to focus more and I need to push myself more. So I hope that people that have been in kind of like this kind of rut are really pushing themselves to the limits of what they their abilities are and what they, what they're able to do. And that, that goes from anything. It can be, you know, at 39, I drove a car for like the first time. I got my license at 39. It was just on my bucket list. I don't even drive. I don't want to drive. I live in a city. I live in a major city, but again, it was something that I was like, Oh, I can do this. And then I, then I was done with it. So it's pushing yourself to the limits of, of getting your checklist done and traveling. Traveling's a big thing. And I'm definitely a believer in that expression that you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with, right? Like if all of the people that you're closest with are always out partying, you're going to be out partying. But if your inner circle are people who are like trying to get their life together and whether that be exercising or, you know, whatever, you're going to start to take on that stuff. So I really do think, you know, limiting your environment to being around the people who make you better. I think this was great. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time coming on the show. I love talking to you. I feel like we could go on and on. I know. Uh, I feel like we did. <laughs> I, I would love to have you when this book, I want this book to come out. Why don't you okay. come back? We'll do like a little book okay. launch or something when that's ready to go. And I, I think that could, I think that could be its own conversation, right? I would love it. I would love it. And my the woman that I work with would love it too. Um, <laughs> really fun. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and chef database. The community's free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week.